Thank you for joining us for Light on the Path, an ongoing conversation designed to encourage you from the Word of God as you walk with Him. Please take a moment to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd also love to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship at Eastside Baptist Church in Thomasville, Georgia. Be sure to see the show notes for more information and connect with us online at eastsidethomasville.org. Thanks again and enjoy the episode. Good morning. It is July 24th, and you'll be getting this uh, podcast early. If you get up early on a, on a Monday morning, maybe you're on, on your way to work. Maybe you're still coming off of a great day in the Lord's house yesterday. And we just want to help you start this week off on the right foot, and that's always with the Lord. So wherever this finds you, we pray that this uh, study today and, and the text as we're in 1 Samuel chapter 1 will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We just came off of about a week ago at Eastside Baptist Church. We were able to send off a hometown missionary, and what an honor and privilege it was to do that. We sent out Matt and Annalise Wilkerson from Eastside Baptist Church. Annalise has been here for about seven years and is my daughter, actually, and surrendered to missions uh, about four or five years ago. God led her to a godly husband who was also surrendered to missions, and they just left on the 17th to head over to West Africa. Togo. So if you are looking for another good, solid missionary couple to support, you can let us know. Uh, but we're thankful to be a part of their lives and to be involved in sending those out into the harvest field. I am Pastor Sean. I'm the senior pastor at Eastside Baptist Church, and joining with me this morning is Pastor Bill, my assistant. It's good to be with you this morning. It is exciting to see uh, the fruit of the labor of our church going out into uh, Togo. Um, it is um, a, a joy to support missionaries around the world from wherever God brings them to us. But uh, as we see a young lady um, raised in our church, uh, those in our church who taught Sunday school and invested in our children and youth had a personal uh, role in, yeah. in getting her to the mission field. So it's been an exciting week for us here at our church, looking forward to uh, seeing what God does in their life and um, as they, as they follow his lead in Togo. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I was reminded of this, Pastor Bill, we don't, God doesn't always let us see visible results of what we're doing for him. Sometimes we're just doing and remaining faithful to him because he's faithful and has been faithful to us. And we know we'll continue to be faithful, but sometimes he lets us get a glimpse of what's actually going on. And I feel like we got to see that last week. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know on the, I believe it was on the ninth, we had our send off service and gathered around them and prayed around them and just a blessing and encouragement to us as a church. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and, and we want to draw your attention to a, probably a well-known story if you've been involved in Christianity any amount of time. If you're a Bible believer, it's the story of Hannah in the Old Testament. And Hannah is also, well, Hannah is, has always kind of had the, I hate to say stereotype, but this idea of a godly woman. And you probably heard aspects of her story, but what I'd like to draw attention to this morning, what really struck me as we study this passage is... When it came to my realization that the reason we see Hannah as such a godly woman is because of the time in her life when this um, was demonstrated. This was demonstrated in a life that was 
under really opposition in many ways. And that's really what made it shine, similar to the story of Job. I mean, we get inspiration from the story of Job, but why, why is Job's testimony and Job's love for the Lord so inspirational? It's Ultimately, it shines so bright because of the opposition that he endured. I mean, that's really what makes it shine. And in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4, we start out, give a little bit of context here, we start out with um, the family opposition that Hannah was under. It says in verse number 4 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, And when the time was that Elkanah, this is her husband, offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? Why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? You know, I'm reminded of that last phrase. We always make a joke out of that when we talk about it. But here is a in an American culture, at least, kind of a mixed-up family situation. Number one, there's multiple wives involved, and although we see that throughout the Old Testament, that is never promoted by the Lord, and it's never warranted by the Lord. It was, will a man leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife? It's always singular, and that's the model given by the Lord. But cultures get involved, and uh, Christianity sometimes takes on a flavor on one side or the other. You know, um, anyway, I won't take that any further, but this, this was a difficult situ- situation either way. There was two wives, and that's going to be difficult enough. Um, but there was also one wife had children, multiple children, and Hannah had none. And in this culture, having children was a huge deal. It was a huge deal. It, it really kind of settled in the eyes of the culture what you were worth, whether you had children or not, and what your children were doing, and the amount of children that you had. And Penina was the one that had the children. But... So introduce another aspect into that was the fact that Elkanah loved Hannah more. And we see that several different times in the Bible. But Hannah loved, I'm sorry, Elkanah loved Hannah, not to to rhyme there, but Elkanah loved Hannah more than he did Penina. But Penina was the one that had the children. So in her culture, she should have been loved more. She should have been favored, but it was the opposite. So it created between the two wives this adversity, this animosity to the fact that even in verse number six, it says, and Hannah's adversary provoked her sore. So now the, the second wife had become the adversary. They'd become enemies in the same household. And Hannah worried about this. It made her fret. And uh, God had not seen fit to open up her womb. And so every year when they would go as a family to the house of the Lord, to Jerusalem, or sorry, to Shiloh, to sacrifice at the tabernacle, um, Penina provoked Hannah and this particular time Hannah is very upset and Elkanah comes to her and says why, why are you weeping I, I have no doubt he came in compassion not making fun of her not creating jokes not asking some stupid and foolish question that we make fun of normally because it just sounds so odd in our culture I think he literally was trying to convince her listen I love you you're the one I love is it not what we have here? Is this not better than having sons like, like Penina has? I mean, and this is really the backdrop that really sets Hannah's godliness out to us, the, the cultural backdrop. And it is interesting as we read the story and we see this time and time again through Scripture and 
we've experienced it probably in our own personal lives. Hannah's, the opposition that Hannah's experiencing, the, the, the uh, trials that she's going through are not even trials that she's brought on herself. They're trials brought on her by um, choices made by other people in, 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 a, lot of, in a lot of the context. Um, and yet that's the opposition she was facing. And you're right, uh, for so many of us, as we find ourselves in this, in this moment, and Hannah does as well, there's prayers that God will get us out of that process, that God will change the process for us. Um, but it's, I, I love seeing the, the hand of God in the story uh, God has purpose in the path, and we we so often are, yeah, anticipating the end of the path. And God's God's purpose in this process, in the, in the story of Hannah, was to show a, a pattern of godliness that we can learn from today. And so, there's purpose in the path, purpose in the struggle that she was walking through. No, I, I agree, and and we see that as we go through the story, and we will that there was a purpose in this for God to raise up a prophet, and his name was Samuel. Hmm. And he did that not in Penina's family, but in Hannah's family. And we just see that godliness. I, I think if Hannah had been any different, this may have been a different outcome. Not that God's purpose wouldn't have been fulfilled. He would have just found another way to do it because God's purposes can never be annulled. And we, we know that from the scripture and Isaiah's prophecy, I believe it was. So we go into a second kind of set of opposition there. Not only did she have family opposition that made her her godly nature really shined, but there was religious opposition. So they're heading in this uh, chapter, they're heading to Shiloh to sacrifice. She, Hannah goes with her family, and it says there was a priest. His name was Eli, and he's, it gives us a vivid picture there in, in verse number 9. He sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. This kind of gives us this picture of Eli. Um, we know he'd be an overweight man, and we're not getting on overweight people here, but he was just a slovenly fellow. And he was in a position of religious leadership, uh, not a very respectable man. I mean, he didn't even get enough off of his seat to realize his sons were out committing uh, fornication and adultery on the steps of, uh, with the women that would come. And uh, didn't even realize how horrible of a father he was being. But this was the man, almost like a career preacher. He grew up in it. He got it uh, in that sense. He grew up in that type of family. And here he was assuming the position. And she comes in in bitterness of soul, verse 10 says. She's praying to the Lord. She's weeping. She's crying. And she makes this deal with God. In a sense, she makes a vow. Says she vowed a vow. And she says to God, if you will give me a child, then I will give him back to you. And I I don't think she's saying that like we kind of, could do maybe at least I know as a young person I, I made some deals if you'll get me out of this situation I will do this and this for you I'll turn my life around etc that's not what this is here this is if God would work on her behalf she would use that blessing from God to serve him more and really to bless God in return and that's what this was a very genuine covenant it says in verse 12 chapter 1 and it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord let Eli marked her mouth Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. And this is just, well, number one, it shows us that this wasn't happening very often. He was not used to people coming, pouring their hearts out to the Lord. This was a very religious culture, and we know that just because a culture is religious doesn't mean that there's genuine walks with God and genuine belief in God. This was no different in Israel. So she comes in passionate and pouring her heart out to the God that she believed in, that she trusted, really showing her godliness. And the religious leadership at the time 
totally took it in the wrong way. He thought she was drunk. Matter of fact, it goes on, he chastises her verbally for this, tells her she shouldn't be drinking and then coming in here. What is her problem? And she responds uh, not in an adversarial way, like she doesn't get involved in this argument, but she just explains her heart and that what she was doing. And he finally concedes at the end. And he says, um, I forgot the spot here. Eli answered and said, yeah, in verse 17, thank you. Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. Almost like one of those pat religious answers. Oh, the Lord bless thee, my child, you know. (laughs) And uh, and he lets her go. And, uh, you know, misunderstood. Here she is just pouring out her heart to the Lord, but she didn't do it like everybody else did it. And so she's automatically singled out by religion. And uh, really, her, her godliness shines through, but totally misconstrued here. This is an interesting um, I, I picture, a uh, warning testimony into the life of ministry, honestly. Uh, you have Eli, the, the priest, who should know um, true worship, should know yeah. a mm-hmm. penitent heart, true worship. This is something he should be around on. And they're in a feast season. So there's people coming to Shiloh to... to to worship, and we'll do air quotes around worship, but to go through the routine of worship, yeah. and yet here is one who is genuinely worship, uh, genuinely worshiping God, and Eli doesn't recognize it, actually chastises her for it. Um, you know, as, as we engage in ministry, um, are we so wrapped up in the, the routine of, of ministry that we yeah. miss real worship, that we miss real need? Here you had a woman who desperately needed encouragement and, and, uh, and, and pointing toward the grace of God, and, and yet he came up in a, in a whole different spirit. So a, a warning to those in ministry, involved in ministry, um, and even a check for those of us involved in worship. Are we genuinely yeah. involved in worship? But No, you, no you're right. Um, it's, at least in our circles, it, it can be a little scary when somebody um, who seems genuine but does it in a different way mm. comes out, and the initial reaction, at least has been for me in the past, to reject it to stand off in a distance and not to encourage that person, but really to almost sit back as the critic. I'll be silent about it. I have enough integrity to be silent, but my mind goes, well, that's not the way we're mm. supposed to do it. Yeah. You know, and I wonder how much I've, I've looked back on my life and wonder how much I missed out on being able to run along somebody else, run along beside somebody else and encourage them and be a part of that. And maybe even stretching my own boundaries on what I think is acceptable and not rather than just letting God's word and what God told us about worship himself, just letting that be the dividing line and, and nothing else, honestly. Yeah. So again, her godliness here is shining, but it's, it's because of the opposition. Every step of the way, her godliness shines simply because it's being opposed and it continues. So before we even get into the third spot, be encouraged by this, that your godliness, if you're pursuing godliness, is really going to shine when it's opposed. It's not going to shine when everything's going great, because everybody just assumes that if you're godly, everything's going to go great. I mean, we just assume that. We just assume that something could be wrong if things aren't going great, and we may not always come to that end conclusion, but that's the initial thing. We need to pray ourselves out of this situation, or we need to pray that it'll get better, or our health will come back, or whatever it is. I, I very seldom hear prayer requests that, you know, so, so-and-so is in this really difficult situation. Would you just pray that they'll see the Lord's hand in this? Mm. You know, I very rarely hear that. And to be honest, I'm tempted to think that way myself. I have to intentionally not think that way. So here we are 
uh, family opposition, religious opposition, and then we see emotional opposition that really came from within her as she's trying to do the right thing and, and, and remain in her promise. They go back um, right after that trip to Shiloh, her dealings with the priest. They go home. The Bible says that Elkanah and Hannah had husband and wife relations, and God remembers her and gives her a son. She bears a son, and of course, because she is pursuing godliness, she calls his name Samuel, saying, because I've asked him of the Lord in verse 20. And of course, Elkanah had to be involved in what was going on as well. She can't just give her son back, even though she made this deal between her and God. She would have to bring her husband into this. You can't just give away your son. And even what would that even mean? But over the next couple years, we know she weans him. She did not go to yearly sacrifice. And she told her husband why, and he was okay with it. And he says, uh, or she said, I'll not go up in verse 22 until the child be weaned. Then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. So they had to have had that conversation at some point. And Elkanah, verse 23, her husband said unto her, do what seemeth thee good. Tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. You know, make, make sure, Hannah, that this is what God wants. That's what's most important to me as well. And they, they move forward together on this. And... You know, as she is raising her son, in a sense, as an infant, she weans him. We don't know exactly how long that process was. She takes him back and does give him to the Lord. But I'm not a woman, but I can imagine, Pastor Bill, that this would have been a very difficult thing to um, follow through on. I mean, she makes this big promise, wants so much to have a son, promises that she'll give him back to the Lord. But then when it actually came time to do it, there had to be some second thoughts there. I mean, there had to be. It's it's interesting. You wonder how that she gets to this point. I love the prayer that she. I love the prayer or the declaration she makes about what she's going to do with the child, uh, as she's talking to Elkanah. Uh, she says, um, I, uh, "Then I will bring him. I will not go until the child is weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever." And I see that prayer as a parent. That's a that's a beautiful prayer to pray for our children, but you wonder, had God not closed up her womb, had she not walked through this process of Mm -hmm. opposition and trusting in God through opposition, does she get to a point in her life where she's willing to, to make that declaration? Mm -hmm. I'm I'm willing to take this blessing of God and turn it back to God to be used for his purposes. Um, I, I can't imagine the emotional distress, but, but resting in what she knew of God. Well, so are you thinking that maybe the opposition even, it, it makes her shine to us, but even for her own purposes, maybe that encouraged her and propelled her. And, and maybe even the faithfulness of God. So, so when we're in opposition, it drives us to a different level of worship or a different level of, of, of trust in, in, in our God. And True. so maybe True. even that process of trusting in God through the, through the family opposition, through the religious opposition, seeing God be faithful through that gets her to a point where she's able to say, I know this God, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to give my best to that God for, for life. Mm. So. Amen. That's a great thought. And so we, as we finish up, we see her now at the end of chapter 1 before the priest, the same priest that chastised her for praying and worshiping so genuinely earlier. Now she's back at least a couple years later. She says, O my Lord, talking to Eli, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. So now her godly testimony, she's following through, um, has at least at very minimum caused Eli to worship the Lord as well. 
Now this woman who was honestly more spiritual than the spiritual leadership now is encouraging the spiritual leadership to do the right thing. And of course, we know later on that he dies as a result of really shame for what his sons are doing. Um, So he's got a long ways to go. But this godliness in her that is really shining through opposition that really God is cultivating in her through this opposition, as Pastor Bill mentioned, now is encouraging those that were really supposed to be leading her. And I just want to encourage everyone out there, don't do not. There's going to be times when you cannot. I mean, this is over a period of years right here. Mm-hmm. This story is chapter one. There's going to be times when you cannot see the daily results of what you're doing, even weekly or monthly results of what you're doing. But God is fulfilling his purposes. And I don't I don't think it's, it's as much uh, an idea that if we don't do what we're supposed to do, then God's not going to do what he's supposed to do. I think it's more the thought throughout Scripture that if we don't fall in line with the Lord, if we don't uh, submit and obey him and pursue him, then he's going to use somebody else because his purposes are going to be done no matter what. And we can have the privilege of being involved or not. And I see that so clearly here in Hannah. She wanted to be involved, probably didn't even know where all this was going to go. But God raises up a stellar prophet of the Lord because of one woman's desire to pursue God under any circumstance. Mm. I'm so, so thankful. But we just want to wrap this up, just give you a little encouragement this morning. And uh, you have a week coming up this week that you can live for God, you can pursue God, whatever that looks like for you in your circumstance, whatever you need to put back in place in your walk with him. um, Let me encourage you to do that this week, whether you see the results of it or not. Do it because of the God that you love, because of the God who has loved you and deserves your worship and your pursuit. So have a great week. Live for the Lord. Talk to somebody about the Lord. Pursue the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we will see you back next Monday. Have a great day.